Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. America, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. By honoring your career calling, you impact your family, your friends, and your community. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description. Welcome to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, breaking down politics as we know it and removing all the bullshit. (laughs) Because politics needed a (laughs) rebrand. Welcome back to Girl on the Gov, the podcast, everybody. We have such an exciting episode today. Sam, are you excited? Like, and you guys, like, we had to cut this down. From literally two hours, but like, we just like we couldn't stop talking. We we couldn't shut up. A muzzle we wouldn't co- have done it. We couldn't stop. The tangents were on crack today for this interview, but so the structure will be a little bit different today, just because we this interview is like the main focus. Again, it was just like such a fun, long, lively conversation that I think everyone will like and take a lot from. So I, we're not gonna really have time to do top stories today, but we do have good news for our good news segment. Sam, do you want to tell us about the good news we have today? Yeah. So Deb Holland, as you guys may have heard, was confirmed as the first Native American Interior Secretary. So as you guys may recall from some of our prior top stories. Stories, the many Biden administration nominees for top-level positions have been going through a variety of confirmation hearings and processes. Some have been controversial. Yeah, we, we had a bad news story, yeah. a la Neera Tandon. Sorry about that one. But the, the good news with this one is we've got a really amazing first happening and some really interesting policy outlooks for us to keep an eye on. So when we do bring top stories back, Next week, we will dive into this a little bit further, hopefully, and this will definitely be a focus for us throughout. So, mazel. Yes, such an amazing first, so exciting, and just like a great way to kick off today. So, we have Natalia Ramos on the show today. If you don't follow her on Instagram, like, what is you doing? She's an actress. She works at a think tank, but she really just wears the title, like, actress and activist, like so well right yeah i mean the woman wears so many hats she's incredible but she is here with us today to talk all about man what did we even talk about we went off on so many topics but hr1 which is a huge 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 bill that just passed in the house and that we really need to pass in the senate for different voting rights and such will we get into that all today we also talk about gerrymandering which like sam and i always like use as the example of our i have a stupid question segment our elevator speech but we have literally yet to even cover on this show so like we were like maybe it's time 
to talk about gerrymandering and explain it. And Natalia is the perfect person to explain all of this for us. She just explains everything so simply, like in her Instagram videos, which you guys should definitely go follow her and go check out because she does a great job of explaining political topics, political stories, in just a really simplified and easy, digestible way. So again, go follow her. But in the meantime, definitely hang around and (laughs) listen to this episode with Natalia. So without further ado, here she is. All right, guys, quick commercial break before we get into it with our amazing guests today. We want to tell you about Soli Sisterhood. So Soli Sisterhood is a feminist-based shop that is all about hashtag strength in sisterhood. They believe as women, it is our duty to build each other up and clap for our sisters. So to them, you aren't just a customer you are more than a friend, and to them, you are a sister, which is why they are offering an exclusive 15% off to Girl on the Gov, the podcast listeners with code Girl on the Gov 15. Solely Sisterhood has also just launched subscription boxes. So there are two options one including the manifestation box, which is stocked with a tea, mug, notepad, banner, and more. Orders will begin to be taken on March 17th, so be sure to mark your calendars and head over to solelysisterhood.com to shop. Again, that's code GIRLINTHEGOV15 for 15% off your purchase. Go check them out, you guys. We just celebrated International Women's Day. We're in Women's History Month, so take all that inspiration and go check out Soli Sisterhood. They have some really cute new teas, all in the theme of sisterhood and women and International Women's Day and all the amazing, inspiring women we celebrated the other day. So go check them out. Again, that's solelysisterhood.com and use code GIRLINTHEGOV15 for 15% off your purchase. We are super excited to have you on. And so we always like to just start with getting to know you and kind of your story in the world of politics and like how you got here and the journey that led you here. Yeah, well, it's it's kind of random in a way. I I started acting when I was a kid. I never knew or imagined I would do anything else. And uh, when it came time for college, I was like, I don't need to go to college. You know, like I'm an actress. And my mom was like, no, you're going to college. And I remember having getting into this argument with her. I was so stubborn. I was like, okay, well, if I have to go to college and I'm only going to study one thing and I'm only going to study theater. And I applied to one school. It was USC. Thank God I got in (laughs) because now looking back, it just completely changed my life because when I got there over time, slowly moved towards politics, which was something that always interested me, but I never saw it as a, a career or something to seriously pursue. But I, I went from major in acting to then like adding a minor in poli sci. And then Love eventually it. I just completely did poli sci. And I became that person on set that was like reading the communist manifesto or like <laughs> yeah. Kissinger's diplomacy, like on set in between takes and people, you know, people were like, who are you? And it, I just became this, I, I just became obsessed with it. And now since graduating, I graduated a few years ago, I started working at a think tank while I was still in college. I was an intern and just slowly over time, my interests and, and passions and focus have really migrated more towards that space. I think the last four years have really activated a lot of people as well. And so now I'm in this really interesting place where I'm just kind of figuring out how to kind of merge my passion for acting and film and entertainment with my love of of politics and really wanting to make a difference. I think that's where I can have the most impact. Yes, 
hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. I love this conversation too. This world of influencers and people with platforms. We've always as a society been obsessed with celebrity and things like that, but now more than ever like there's just so many people with platforms and i think that's really going to be the key like moving forward to like get people engaged and using those platforms for good as well and so i think it's really exciting it's just a matter of getting those people to start using their platforms in that way and i think we saw that like in 2020 a lot which was great but we especially love what you're doing too with with your Instagram and everything. Oh, well, uh, same with you guys. That's why we connected because we, I think our missions are very aligned. And just to emphasize what what you were saying, I think even just a few years ago and when, when we were growing up, maybe before social media, when it was like tabloids and gossip and, and e-news, yeah. it was all about what what celebrities were wearing or what who they were dating. But now I feel like there's this shift where it's actually cool to be smart. And I, totally I, I use smart is sexy as my hashtag all the time. Yes. And there are there are like educational influencers is a thing. And and I think that that's really awesome. There's fashion and that's still really trendy, but but you know, intellectual things are also really cool. And there's there's a space is being made for that, which is exciting. Yeah, yeah, I, totally. And I think it made it less taboo too. Just seeing people with influence, just like everyday people like us, or just even like fashion influencers or whoever it is, and whatever their niche is, like have spoken out again, like especially last year. And just seeing those people take a stand on something makes everyone think of it less taboo. Like, oh, how do I feel about that? How should I feel? What sh- what can I do? Yeah. Again, I feel like last year just totally blew that up in such an amazing way. So again, we always talk about the silver linings of 2020. I think yeah. that's definitely one of them. Yeah, the silver linings. <laughs> exactly. And and that's what I think you guys are doing, which I love so much is that you don't, you don't come in saying, oh, I know everything and I'm the expert and listen to me. You're it's okay to ask questions. It's okay not to know everything and be curious. And I think that's where we all are right now. And we have this kind of support system and we're making it, like you said, Maddie, less taboo. Definitely. I think it is like so much more a part of the conversation in 2020, definitely put like the cherry on top of that. But of course there's like those moments that influencers and people with platforms were able to capitalize on, right? Because we had this big national moment, this thing that everyone could relate to, talk about and whatnot. But like now that that election has passed, you know, some of that has still continued to be a part of the conversation and some of that has gone to the wayside. I'm curious once we get to another big national election, if that conversation you know, kind of spikes and we do some of these ebbs and flows. But of course there are influencers like you that are continuing the conversation. Like this is not just like, okay, like we're done. Let's just like close up shop, like see you later. Like see you in, you know, two years, see you in four. And so I think that is like really awesome and interesting of like how the taboo has changed in that like we can kind of continue this conversation. It doesn't have to be like just related to this news cycle situation yeah. yeah because we are by no means out of the woods no. oh my you know, god there no. are there are so so many problems and covid and the last four years really shown a light on those things and one of my big focuses now is you know i speak to selena she i know she was on your podcast at one point i'm working on a civics course right now with a friend of mine ben sheehan and one of the things that we're really trying to emphasize all the time is democracy doesn't happen every four years. It happens every single day. And we actually, we cannot let our democracy reach the point of collapse like it did 
ever again. In order to do that, we need to continue to be engaged all the time. And local elections and local government is actually a huge part of that. And we put so much of a focus on the presidential elections. But the president actually has probably the least amount of impact on your everyday life. And so how can we get people to be more understanding, engaged, interested, and like know where to go? Because it's not, it, it's really not accessible to a lot of people. So that's been a big focus for me. Well, I think that's like the the blessing and the curse of social media, right? And we could like talk about that forever. Ever. Yeah. Entire, <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, hello, Social Dilemma is an entire documentary on it, right? But with this new age, you know, we now have so many more mechanisms for sharing what's going on and also like how to get involved. I like to your point of not growing up with social media the way like Gen Z is, I mean, it's really kind of like wild to think about. Like we were like going through like middle school, we had like flip phones and like sidekicks, dear God, right? Oh my gosh, the sidekick. I can't. My friend got the sidekick and I was so jealous. It was the coolest thing in the world. And the razor and the razor with all the colors. Oh, I had one of Oh my gosh. I wasn't even cool enough for that. I was the weird kid whose parents didn't let her have cable TV. So I remember seeing Lizzie McGuire for the first time at a sleepover and it changed my life. Oh my God. And I had the phone, you know, the brick that you have to be like 8888 to, I had 50 text messages a month. I mean, seriously, a loser. Okay. Should we? That was tangent number one. Check. Okay, we'll bring it back. Okay, bring it back. But no, but I do want to just touch on Gen Z. I'm blown away by them. I'm Me too. I'm so in awe of this generation. I was nowhere near as aware as they are. Like you were saying, Sammy, it's just we we didn't have social media. We I, I always thought that I was informed and, you know, understood what was happening in the world, but they're they're on another level and I'm I'm in awe of them. I know. And I think they get so much shit too, which is like, of course, like you grew up in this crazy era with social media and all these things, but they could be like the worst generation of all time, but like they have been so incredible, especially in this conversation of like activism and being engaged. I'm like the year that's in between. Some people say 96 is Gen Z. Some people say it's millennials. But again, it's just like so exciting. Tide pods, not their best moment. Not their best moment, but we've, we all had those. I mean, whippets. <gasps> oh, whippets. Oh my gosh, whippets. We all did some dumb shit. Like I'm sure my parents' generation too. Like the things you get into, right? As as a youth. Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Tangents. Yeah. yeah. Heinous Tangent. things, but for less heinous things. Of course, now you're using your platform for politics and continuing this conversation. What was like the moment though that you decided you were gonna really push your platform to be about yeah. politics? Yeah, so it was something that I've wanted to do for a long time. I started my WTF videos be really just for fun because I've always been the one explaining things to my friends. They'll be like, what is this? And I'll just explain it in a super simple way that, and, and I realize I'm actually really good at that, at taking these complex concepts and breaking them down. And it's what I actually do for my job at the Institute because I, I run all the digital media for the Institute. So I'm, I'm reading white papers and reports and really intellectual content and trying to just break it down and take out what's the most important part and how do I explain this in layman's terms. I love doing that. And I always wanted to do it on on my platform. And I was honestly embarrassed. I was too shy. And that's what held me back for so long. And one day, and it was really COVID, I think everyone was just sitting at home 
And I, that's when I really kind of just committed. And I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this because I want to do this. This is something for me. And if no one likes it, I don't care. Cause I would post yeah. a selfie and it would get 10 times more of likes. You know, no one cares. And I'm talking about what is socialism, <laughs> yeah. you know? <laughs> but, but I just said, you know what, I don't care what people think. And I was more and more so embarrassed about what my friends are going to think. And it held me back for a long time. And as soon as I owned it and stopped caring, that's when things really, that's when I really started to get a response. It was when I was like half-assing it, that it, it wasn't genuine. And as soon as I really came into myself and, and realized this is what I want to do, I enjoy doing this. If five people like it, I don't care. I, I can help those five people and I'm having a blast. And, and then that's when it really started for me. And ever since, I think this last year, I've just put so much of my energy into this kind of world and and that's become a, a priority for me and now doing different projects speaking you know finding people like like you two and working with commune to put together a civics course which is so exciting and i've just made amazing contacts and met incredible people and i'm having so much fun so this is kind of along with my my day job at, at Pergruen, this is you know a side gig that has side passion i should say it's not really gig i don't make money <laughs> side passion that's just been really really fun yeah i think we have such a similar story like too with it is scary to honestly like this whole show is off the you know premise of that it's really scary to even step your foot into politics Talk at right. all and try to understand it alone even if you're by yourself in your room trying to like read through stuff and understand it by yourself like that's scary alone but then like also stepping into your voice and like talking about it with people again because it comes back to that conversation of how taboo it is like yeah. you don't want to bring up politics with your friends you don't want to be that person that talks about politics all the time because like no one has ever wanted to talk about it so you know same with us like starting this podcast we're like honestly it's scary there's a lot of scary things to doing this but you know, again, if only like three people listen to this podcast and, you know, we can inform three people, we won. Totally. Yeah. So yeah. it's like, but it is a scary first step. After like our first events too, like we had a bunch of people sign up to vote. And I was like, if that is it, if that is literally there are five people that registered to vote, then like by all means we won and you feel like, okay, like it was worth it. No, you, you've done your part. You've done something. Yeah. Anything to deal with politics, it is like definitely scary, but like at the end of the day, so much more positive comes out of it. And I think that is beyond important. And the more that people become familiar with it and the less scary it becomes. I mean, I think we're just going to be so much further along as as a society and as honestly the United States. Yeah. So No, we have to. And I think we're going to talk a lot about this more when we get into kind of the nitty gritty. But this, this fear or this lack of understanding does hold us back. And whether it's starting um, a business or a charity, what you guys are doing, what I did, that that first step is really hard because you you're either in it or you're not. And if you half-ass it, you, it's not going to work. And, and that's the scariest part is like fully committing. But the problem is that if we don't do that, whether it is in our personal lives and our businesses or in our democracy, we're just leaving space for the people who are really activated and the people who are really committed. And those people usually are not the ordinary citizens like you and me, Yeah, (laughs) you know, they're, they're the zealots and they're the special interests. And so we actually need to make space for the regular people. That's such a good point. And yeah, and I think it plays into too, like whether it's you're starting a podcast or an Instagram video series about it 
or you know you want to volunteer or you want to phone bank for five minutes or you want to like register a few of your friends or you want to post that post whatever it is like do it and like play your part even if it's just a tiny drop in the bucket it always matters and I think like that conversation about like your vote matters like it sometimes doesn't feel like it but it absolutely does in every way yeah and I just would want to add to that is like your vote really does matter but your informed vote do your part do your research come to your own conclusions and find people you know like girl and the gov or whoever it is that that you trust like our sources that you trust and form your own opinion and i think that's that's an important kind of caveat (laughs) but i think that's the perfect segue into talking about think tanks because those are your reputable sources those are the places that do all the research that end up being in the articles you read right but for those who don't know and if you want to explain kind of your role at this think tank and also for those who don't know like what is a think tank what do you do there yeah well i think you kind of touched on it really well maddie it's it's just a group of researchers that are you know funded by whether there are government funded think tanks and there are philanthropic think tanks privately funded look at where the funding's coming from. That's very key. But but yeah, I mean, they, they bring people together to academics, fellows, researchers to work on researching different issues of importance. And I work at the Bergruen Institute, which is, we call it a think and action tank, because we bring together multicultural, multidisciplinary perspectives from some of the leading thinkers all around the world. And we're able to bring them together into one room and to solve big global challenges that governments are often not not equipped to handle because they're so focused on the day-to-day that they really can't think 10, 20, 50, 100 years ahead. And so we're trying to, to fill in that gap. And so we work on major issues like the future of democracy, the future of capitalism. What are the implications of AI and gene editing on society? How are we going to manage our relationship with China? So big, big questions. And we bring together people from all around the world and everything from scientists and technologists to former politicians, not sitting politicians, and philosophers, authors, all different types of people and kind of put them in a room. We're nonpartisan, unbiased. We don't really have an opinion. We just kind of present the problem and bring people together to try to find solutions. Yeah, wait, that actually gives me another question that process after what happens? Like, do you guys submit it to the government? Do you guys submit it to specific politicians? Like how does like the research kind of get taken and put into action? Yeah. So there are, there are different ways, right. And there's different objectives for different areas. So we've put together a different citizens assemblies, for example, one of the projects I'm working on for the future of democracy is I kind of mentioned the citizens assemblies, bringing more ordinary citizens into the decision making process. And that that would be one that's more on a grassroots level. And then there's things that are more top level down, which is a proposal right now for universal basic capital, which is kind of an alternative to universal basic income. It's an economic you know, proposal for fixing, for addressing inequality. And that's being looked at by both Democrats and Republicans. And there's been a lot of consensus that's been found on both sides, which is really promising. And so that's kind of a more top down level approach. And so it really depends on the particular initiative and the project and the partners. But at the end of the day, the ultimate objective is to reform our institutions because they're no longer working. And in order to reform these institutions that were honestly made by, designed by a bunch of 
old white men. <laughs> They're not working anymore. Let's reform them and actually bring in as many voices as we can to influence yeah. the new design. Amazing. Well, we want to get into I have a stupid question segment. I love this part. And this, I've, I'm excited for these questions because they're such important ones. The first one is the one Sam uses in the elevator speech for our podcast all the time, oh but we God. have actually yet to cover. <laughs> but it's just like a lot of, you know, vocab moments that I think are so important. So to start, we want to start with what is gerrymandering? <laughs> okay, yes, that's like the hot button word, right? But gerrymandering is basically the corrupt way of doing a very normal thing called redistricting. So every 10 years, we know that we count the population through the census. And the reason why we do this is to figure out how many representatives each state is going to get. And they get that based on the population in the districts. So there was this whole constitutional amendment that decided how you break up the districts. And we don't have to get into that. But the main thing that you have to understand is that the districts are divided by the population. So there is there's an equal amount of people in each district. And then they vote for their representatives that go to D.C. So that's all fine. But the catch is who draws the districts in most states. It's the legislators. So if you have a state that is controlled by one party, they can very easily find all of these really creative, sketchy ways to like draw these crazy lines to either put all of the minority party voters into one district. So that diminishes their power or spreading them out amongst all the other districts so that they never have a majority to win any district at all. So you can just Google most gerrymandered districts in America and you'll see what I mean. Like it's, it's, it's a shit show. Just physically with like the shape of the district, you're like, how did somebody draw this? This makes no sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a joke. It's ridiculous how they can, you know, they get away with this. They're just not shapes. I don't even know how to describe. They're not. There's actually funny names for some of them. One is like Donald Duck something. It's 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 like, you know, when you look at clouds and you're like, oh, that looks like a, a hippopotamus or whatever. It's like they look at the gerrymandered districts and they give them names. There are some funny ones, but it's really not funny. <laughs> this is not the natural, the natural world making these shapes. Yeah, it's literally them saying, okay, well, here are a bunch of Democrats and we're gonna put them in this. There's this little, it literally goes down to the street. It's like that street right there has actually a bunch of Republicans. So let's just draw a line around that street. And and, and then like the rest of the streets, I mean, it's it's insane. And it's, it's just, yet another way that we're eroding our democracy without even realizing it because one vote no longer holds equal weight. And that's not how our system was designed to be. Right. Totally. And I think it, it impacts the services too. I know we've had Senator Biagi on from New York State and her district is really, really gerrymandered. So she has, for people familiar with New York, she has part of Westchester and then part of the Bronx. And so the demographics that float between those two areas are so different and they have such a range of issues um, and things that need to be solved for. And it's only, and it, it's really hard to do that when it's so gerrymandered and so all over the place. So it, another crazy shape, but like we have elected officials that can really, you know, speak to their own experience of getting elected in these weird districts and then having a hard time trying to solve for them because they make no sense. So, wow, that's a really good point. Yeah, it's it's a huge challenge. But there is like a potential solve 
which is this next question. What is a nonpartisan redistricting commission? So simply put, instead of having state lawmakers draw these district lines, an independent commission would be set up, which is a, so basically turning this political process into a non-political process, which is what it was supposed to be, having an independent group draw the lines based on the demographics and the population, the way it it is just like the natural groove, I suppose, of the state. And it's already been implemented in a few states. I think it's been really successful from what I've heard. And it just seems like a really positive way to take politics out of this process and bring it back to what it was intended to be. Something really important worth noting is you guys will know that you just, you know, took the census last year. Last year was 2020. That means that this year, 2021, is when they're going to be drawing those districts. And because of COVID and the census reports being delayed, there there's actually time to you know, reach out to your local officials and your state legislatures who are going to be the ones responsible for drawing these lines. And so you can reach out to them and, and request or demand, <laughs> I guess, demand, you know, that that they set up an, an, a nonpartisan redistricting commission, find out what the status is in your state, see what, what you can do. It's so hard to give advice because we have like 51 states and and you know 50 in dc each one is so unique but but seriously look into that in your state yeah. because there's still time we can really make a difference if we don't do it now we have to wait another 10 years very very true and it's just like to simply put like this nonpartisan redistricting commission it just makes sense like it doesn't like the other way just makes zero sense how has this not been a thing already? How is it not a thing? That should be a segment. Why is this not a thing? <laughs> that is a good segment. I'm literally writing that down. Obsessed. Please, please do it because why is this not a thing? I mean, the state legislatures, like, I don't want to make them out to be these evil people. There are reps. They have plenty of other things that they should be focusing on. Like, I don't really need them drawing the districts. Let's, let's, let's take that off your plate. Let's let delegate. someone else delegate. Exactly delegate that task and let's focus on, you know, the things that, that we really need you for. Right. And like, what do we know about just our politicians and elected officials? For the most part, they are mostly concerned with being reelected. So why are we giving them this power to literally reelect themselves? Well, also, if it's like a sports team, it would be like, oh, the winning sports team gets to pick the like, all of the rules. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. You get to right. pick your own ref. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, next question. What is a public comment period? So when making laws, there's a time window. It's usually 60 days, uh, but it varies for public hearings to so that the public can actually go and voice their concerns with proposed legislation. The thing is that most of us don't even know that this exists. It's, it's not something it's not like really advertised and how many people actually go to, you know, public hearings. But there's actually a period where you can go and, and voice your opinion on it. And the problem is, and this goes back to what, you know, we were talking about before that most like ordinary citizens like you and me, we don't know that this exists, but the special interests and the lawyers, they do know that it exists. And trust me, they're going to have their voices heard. And so we don't get involved, even though we have just as much of a right to, even because, you know, we don't know that it exists or we're busy. It's intentional. That's our TikTok, our big TikTok. It was like, it's intentional. They don't want you to know about a lot of this stuff they want you to be uninformed they don't want you to know about the resources you have like that's why communication 
with the government to its citizens is so poor. It's because there are things like this that could strip some of those people from their power and just, you know, give it then to the people, which is how it's supposed to be. But that is so intentional that, you know, these things are the way that they are. And that's a perfect example of, of how and why. So it's like, how can we actually make it so that A, it's not taboo and not crazy. And also we don't have time. Like we're all busy, especially parents. I'm, I'm thinking like, you're like, I'm not sitting here asking mothers to go and, and like sit in on this public comment period, but there are, you know, specific, like, like find the specific issues that really, really matter to you and, and get involved in those because your voice matters. And there's actually another, why is this not a thing? But citizens assemblies, and I think they're worth looking into, they're a really innovative way to resolve this. There was an experiment recently, it was on the New York Times called America in One Room, and they did kind of like mock mock groupings of like what this would look like on to scale, bringing diverse segments of the population together to like debate and discuss a particular issue. It's kind of like how a jury works. And they've done it in places like France and Ireland. In Ireland, which is a very religious country, they were able to resolve abortion, which is like a hugely controversial thing. And um, they solved it not because some politician came down and said, you know, or the court said, this is how it's going to be, but because the public actually like discussed it, debated it. And you'll find that when, when we actually are all put into a room and have to talk to one another face to face, like we're not as crazy and as, as angry as we might think we are. Yeah. There also are just so many innovative ways, like with tech, like civic tech that need to happen. You should be able to from your phone, you know, tell your representative, like, this is what I want you to vote for this. And then they can see all their constituents and what they want. And like, they go vote in in that way. So it's like, there's so many ways that we can like use tech to like bring our civic engagement and like activity into this era, which is just like these public comment periods are great, but it's like, yeah, nobody has time to go do that. So it's like, how can we be innovative and find, you know, a solution that can make it easier and more accessible to do that. And if it's like, maybe you can zoom in for like 10 minutes and like say what you want to say. It's just, there's so many barriers and there's so many ways to bring all of this into the future, like in a really easy way. The technology is there, right? We, we have it. It's just, how do we deploy it? I mean, there are countries, tiny countries like Estonia, that's done a remarkable job. Like they have an entire, their whole government is like, it's e-government, I think is what it's called in Estonia. It's all digital. And they, they're they an incredible model. South Korea and Taiwan, the way that they use technology to fight COVID. I mean, countries are doing it. In, in Europe and Italy, you have actually really interesting, innovative things coming out in like the democratic tech space. The tragic thing about the United States is that we have all the resources in the world. We have the greatest technology, the greatest minds, the greatest companies, and we just completely failed in the management and execution of not just COVID, but so many other things. A lot of that has to do with some of the democratic problems that we're facing, you know, like gerrymandering and special interests and big money. Well, and just like the conversation around politics and civics in our country, like how it's so taboo. It's like, we don't, we as a country, I feel like we're like so patriotic. But then when it comes to things like voting and like the actual democratic processes that we should be patriotic and prideful about, like we are awful at, like yeah. we are absolutely awful at it. You touched exactly on what what my next point was, which is culture. We have a very independent minded culture 
And we're very proud of that. People are very skeptical of the government and for good reason. I mean, we like the government has given people plenty of reasons lately and over the years, I mean, forever for not trusting. But we there are other cultures that are much more obedient, let's say, or inclined to trust and follow their government or listen to authority. We don't have that. Yeah. And it's like, that's what I saw the most with COVID. It's like so many countries were so okay, like go into a lockdown because they knew that like, it's what needed to be done. It was what's going to protect our neighbors and our communities. And like, there's just more of a sense of that community. We politicize everything. It's tribalism. Right. But at the end of the day, when you bring politics, you know, out of the mix, American people are just like, you know, any other people, we, we, we do want to help each other. Like we do care about one another. And it's just that our politics has become so toxic that it's, it's actually really hard to break through that. And it's only getting worse with, with the split media and with the exorbitant amounts of, of money that are going into politics these days that really like the ordinary voices are drowned out. And I think that's a huge problem. Yeah. When you break down the issues, like we all really do want the same things. Like we want our communities to thrive. We want our families to be safe. Like it's just a matter of getting there and the solutions and all of those things that we disagree on. And then obviously just through the years that has become so divided and so partisan. But then when you actually sit down and you like talk to people who don't agree with you at the end of the day, like you guys both want the same thing. Yeah. It's the avenues of getting there. And that's where sort of the disagreements comes in. And I think that's, that's sort of a larger topic of how to solve that. I especially like relate to that. I've definitely have friends and or family of those friends that like we do not agree on anything politics wise like I mean could not be further apart but like then if I think about them at like an individual level they're like the most generous people they are the first person there to help out like they're doing all the things that would make me think that we would almost be in a in allegiance on the same issues and you're like but how could we disagree if this is like your yeah. behavior? Yeah, no, it's you guys did a really interesting episode about like how to talk to your family during Thanksgiving or something where you brought on a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. But that's that's it. You guys have touched on this and it's a huge challenge. Been intentionally divided this that's way. That's what right? I was and just going to say. Gerrymandering or everything. Yeah, we're, they're trying to put us in boxes and we're we're not like I, I don't think I've ever met anyone who is a as hardcore blue or red as the media will make us out to all be. Well, or they make you think that you are. They make you think that you're just this thing. But that's the thing. That's It goes back to like, it's all intentional. Like they want us to be divided. We're easier to control when we all want the same things collectively and we all work to get those things. We can literally have whatever country we want. Like if we were to just come together and actually do that, but we're so divided and that's intentional. It's like a way to control just like, you know, people being uninformed is a way to control. It's all connected. Again, the gerrymandering is a perfect example of all of that, right? But man, we have just been having a lively conversation today, this morning, this Sunday morning. I know. (laughs) Okay. Well, we also have another question which is, what is ballot harvesting? Ballot harvesting sounds really scandalous, but it literally means that someone just drops off your absentee ballot for you. So like I filled it out, I sealed my ballot, I signed it, I did everything the right way. And then I gave it to my mom to drop it off at the polling center. So like, it's this like really scandalous term, but it, it like you can also call it ballot collection. But again, the people who want to divide us love calling it ballot harvesting because it just sounds so shady. And the fact that we even call ballot harvesting 
call it ballot harvesting is interesting in itself because I did a really interesting interview with George Lakoff, who's this renowned linguist. And he talks about how public sentiment is controlled through language. So immediately we hear ballot harvesting and we're like, oh my God, this is a bad thing. So when people are saying, oh, when Trump is up there saying, oh, and like they're harvesting ballots, everyone's like, oh my God, like where are the dead people? Where are the dead bodies? They're you know? dog and so, like, <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So when you hear something outrageous, just, you know, do do your work, do your, do your homework and try to find out like what exactly is they're saying because they, politicians use language like this all the time. And when you're actually attuned to listening to it, you'll, you'll find it everywhere. And so it's, that's something that, you know, is important to be aware of. Yeah. Well, every like think tank and every real researcher has also just come to the conclusion that voter fraud really doesn't happen on any kind of scale that it's talked about by politicians or in the media. Like, it's actually not happening. If anything, they find very isolated incidents of it that have no impact on an election. So perfect segue into talking about HR1, which is a bill that just passed the House, correct? Correct. Just passed the House. So do you mind telling us a little bit about HR1 and what it does and the nitty gritty? Yeah. HR1, it, this is a perfect segue because it touches on all of these problems that we've been addressing just in this conversation alone, all in like one pretty package. Because I mean, it's it is perhaps the most ambitious attempt at democratic reform since definitely in our generation, probably our parents and our grandparents. I mean, the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was, you know, incredibly ambitious and but that only focused on voting rights this is you have voting reform and ethics reform and campaign finance reform ending gerrymandering it's it's just like a ton of reforms all packaged into one which is what makes it really really exciting and potentially groundbreaking yeah definitely and i think to that point of like what's included which seems like a lot it's a lot lot of things What are some highlights? Like if you give like three of the the top things that are included, what are those? So with voting, John Lewis actually co-authored the voting section. So you can just like kind of trust in that (laughs) essentially. But you know, automatic voter registration for everyone who's eligible, restoring voting rights to ex-felons, setting up those independent redistricting commissions that we talked about, and then a bunch of campaign finance regulations so that Congress doesn't have to be so indebted to like what their big donors and lobbyists want and focus more on what their constituents want. Those are kind of like the big things in my view. And you think those like line items would be like a bipartisan issue? Like let's get people an easier pathway to vote, provide them the resources to vote, you know, strengthen democracy, et cetera. But there is major pushback on on the other side, correct? Yeah, there is. And that's what's kind of upsetting So there's a lot, a lot of people think that if you expand the franchise, Democrats will win. And first of all, there's actually no evidence to show that at all. There are plenty of eligible Republicans that should be voted voting that can't or people that would vote Republican. They're just not registered. And and so that's that that's moot. But also, I think it's irrelevant because what this bill is actually doing is just reinforcing the laws that already exist. The, the laws that the Supreme Court has either amended our constitution or that were already written into our constitution. And that is, you know, they, to make every single person who is eligible to vote, to enable them to vote. And so, you know, back during the civil rights movement, when when the Supreme Court, you know, 
broke precedent and and or, or changed had a constitutional amendment to say that you know black people were not three fifths of a people and and that they could vote. That was great, but a lot of states just because they were now legally obligated to do that, because we we discussed, you know, the states are up, they're the ones who can determine their own election rules. So they found all of these ways to kind of like circumnavigate that Supreme Court decision. And so it's like, okay, well, technically, black people have to be allowed to vote, but we're just going to make it basically impossible for them to do so. And, and that's wrong, right? Like we all know that. And that still happens today. This isn't something that just happens, you know, a hundred years ago, this still happens today. And so the, the, the laws are there in place, but there are still things that are being, that, that are, that are happening every single day, whether it's, you know, Kentucky only opening one polling center in all of Louisville County, or it's, you know, a million other things that we could get into. It's, it's, it, it's, taking away it's eroding you know the fabric of our democracy and we're not actually living up to our promises and so we need to put more mechanisms in place to actually live up to live up to our ideals yeah again back to that conversation of how we really i feel like prioritize the wrong things if you're a real patriot be like okay how can we exercise our democracy best like let's make voting a national holiday and so everyone can exercise that right and like celebrate our country on that day like we get to vote today like why wouldn't that be a prideful thing this prideful country we live in would do like that just makes no sense right why is that a a part why is that not a thing (laughs) in australia we have compulsory voting and everyone goes on election day you get what are they called patriot sausages or something it's not that it's like the the national sausages and and like they hand them out and it's and it's fun and think that most people if you ask the average american that they would be opposed to having a day off work to go vote Again, it's just like the powerful people, for whatever reason, it's not in their best interest to have more people vote. We should just live up to our promises and just let people vote. (laughs) It's simple. And if there are hot dogs involved, I mean, sign me up, sign me up. Right? Dude, America would kill it with some like, like imagine Texas, like those barbecue lines, like Damn, I would want to go vote in Texas. They would kill it. (laughs) That's another policy idea I'll write down in my notes on my phone is policy idea, barbecue voting day. There would be rides, you know, like the deep fried Oreos. We'd have everything. Yes, a full carnival. Salt, (laughs) salt. Yes, alcohol, come on over. Take a shot, take a vote. Another tangent, now that we're rewriting all the legislation of the US government. I think we just need to send this episode to DC and be like, here you go, here are the answers we gave them to you. Go make it happen. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I do want to talk about campaign finance reform now that we've had enough tangents. But no, the campaign finance reform is actually the part that's most interesting to me. You should probably have someone come in and talk about Citizens United because it's fascinating. and. What it did, it was in like 2012 or 2013, and this it was a Supreme Court decision that basically said that corporations are people, and because they're people, you cannot infringe on their freedom of speech. And in the case of elections, money is speech because that's how you get your voice out there. So what it essentially did was allow for unlimited amounts of donation, campaign finance spending, and it led to the rise of super PACs. So what all of this means in a nutshell is that we have more money in politics now than ever before. It just unleashed these waves of dark money. Like just to kind of put into perspective, this is a crazy fact that I found 11 single individuals contributed one fifth 
of the $4.9 billion that super PACs have raised since 2010. That's insane. 11 people. It is insane. And we have so much money that it's impossible for our voices to be heard. It's also really hard for people like the woman from New York that you interviewed who was running for office. Oh, Diane Morales. Yes. Okay. So people like her, it makes it almost impossible if you're not like checked into like the institutional powers that be. If you're an outsider, it's, it's like almost impossible for you to, to like get in and run. Our officials are just paying more attention to the needs of like a tiny fraction, right? They're indebted to now donors again, rather than the people. Yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy because you're not allowed, you're not allowed to say like, oh, I'm going to give you money if you do X. You're allowed to be like, hey, like. Well, yeah, or it's like, if you want my money next election, then like, you know what to do, basically. Yeah, and I should also mention like, Congress people don't necessarily want it to be like this. I mean, it really impacts the way that they do their job. They have to spend like 25% of their day or 30% 30 of their day doing call time. There's actually a word for it. And that's literally just being on the phone to donors instead of being out there talking to your constituents, passing legislation, doing your job. And so a a lot of them, this isn't a system that that is desirable even for them. So we're kind of painting them as these like horrible villains, whatever, but that's not even the case. It's almost like, if in the Olympics, if, if one person is taking steroids, everyone has to take steroids just to keep up, right? It's a toxic cycle. And what's really exciting about HR1 is that it tries to address this head on. So what, what HR1 would do is set up a donor matching system. So Representative Sarbanes, who co-authored that he's leading this bill, he actually tried this out on his own campaign. It was, it was a state campaign, I believe. And he would basically just set up a trust and set aside like hundreds of thousands of dollars from big donors. And he couldn't touch it until he had matched that number from the small donors. So it incentivizes candidates to reach out to small donors and it actually really worked. So he was like, okay, how do we scale this? And so the model that HR1 has kind of built is that candidates running for federal office can opt into a small donor public financing like fund and that would match small donations up to six to one. So for example, I give Maddie a donation of $100. That's going to be matched by 600. So my $100 now becomes $700. And so it's it's a way of making these small donations much more impactful. And there's this myth going around that they're going to use taxpayer money to fund campaigns and whatever. That's not true at all. And it's actually quite ingenious. This is my favorite part, how they're going to build this fund. So the money is going to be raised by adding a small surcharge on white collar crime fines and settlements. So like tax evaders and corporations that have to pay huge fines, they're going to end up funding our freedom from influence fund. It's brilliant. Oh my (laughs) God, that is brilliant. (laughs) Paying for their demise. (laughs) I think it's a great idea. It's been piloted in small, smaller scale elections all across the country. The response has been really, really positive. And, you know, whether or not this gets passed and whether or not this actually is put into place, these are the types of conversations that we need to be having because this is like an innovative new solution that is not just same old shit. And it's like, let's try to actually tackle this head on. That's awesome. Well, where are we right now with the status of this bill when we can maybe see it fully be passed and signed and all that stuff? Will we even see it be passed? It's really a question. Well, it's it's not going to be easy, I'll be honest. It it passed the house, but you know, it got it passed with 51%, so not a single Republican vote. And in order to pass the Senate, it it's going to need to be a bipartisan 
initiative and you're, you're going to need to have some Republicans come, come over and, and vote on it. That's also because in the Senate, you need a supermajority and not just a simple majority in order to pass anything. Because with the filibuster, just the threat of debate is enough to stop debate altogether. So yet another eroding factor of our democracy is the filibuster. It really wasn't, you know, the Senate wasn't designed to function this way. The Senate was designed to be, to rise above politics and to be a place um, of really thoughtful, respectful debate. And it no longer is that, which is, you know, another conversation to be had. But long story short, it's got to pass the Senate and Biden has already said that he will sign it. And then we also like to like ask from a contrarian standpoint, like what are some of maybe the downsides of the bill or just what are the main concerns for those who don't support it? Yeah. So Mike Pence wrote an op-ed and it gives really good insight into the opposition argument. I'm actually going to send you guys a link to my HR1 primer. So it has all of the things that I mentioned in. So your listeners can can like read read everything and kind of explore for themselves. But in it, his main argument is that nationalizing elections to this extent is unconstitutional. So the constitution gives states the power to run their own elections. And um, that's a valid argument. And that's something that should be debated. Like, is this uh, federal overreach? One, That's one thing Republicans are very concerned with. Then there are other concerns that to me are less, in my opinion, legitimate, which is the ballot harvesting that we discussed and uh, that it could lead to election fraud and inaccurate voter rolls. But these are kind of um, the main things that Republicans are concerned about. But the point is, again, debate is an essential component of democracy. We should be listening to all of these arguments. We have a right to a healthy, respectful public debate. But instead of having that debate on the Senate floor, the way our system was designed to have it, we're having that debate in our own bubbles. So Mike Pence is writing an op-ed that's being published in Republican newspapers and talking on you know Republican TV programs, preaching to their audience. And the same goes with the Democrats. And, and that's not how it's supposed to work. There should be a really boring public debate on C-SPAN on the Senate floor where everyone <laughs> comes together and talks about their damn issues. Let's not like sensationalize it on, on Fox News and CNN. Right. That's such a good point. Our debates aren't happening with each other from opposite sides. It's happening in the bubbles where you're talking to people who already agree with you and that will just reaffirm what you're saying. But often, you know, the contrarian argument is, or the individual is kind of put in this impossible position where they're just going to be attacked. And it takes a very brave, brave person <laughs> to go and do that. Yeah, it's like you're too far gone at that point, like where it's like you just already know you're not just being attacked, but it's going to, you're losing an uphill battle. You're speaking to people that their ears are already closed. They're just doing it for posterity. So it's like, at that point, what's, what is the point? But this makes me think that we need to rebrand C-SPAN. Yes. <laughs> Why is that not a thing? Why is that not a thing? Add it to the list. But th this is just another one of the signs that show that our democracy is in dire, dire need of reform. And so what's so interesting to me about this bill is like this is actually one of the one of the first real chances we have at addressing this like everything it's not going to solve the whole problem but it's a real start and i think it at least merits a debate and our public focus and for everyone to just take a look at what's in it i've included some really what i think are great resources where i really got informed on the bill and to like take a look into it because this could this could be, you know, one of the most important bills, you know, that the COVID relief bill was another really important one. This is up there. Yeah. 
and I guess too, if whether a listener after after listening to us ramble, yeah. either is if you're super not sick of it, yet. About it yeah, like yeah. right. If you're super if you're still listening, about it, yeah, you're still listening. You made it this far. Congratulations. I don't have a prize for you, but we'll work on it. But if you did make it this far and you're like, oh my gosh, I love what you guys are saying about this bill. I want to make sure that my voice is heard on it. Or you're like, I hear you guys, but like, you know, hey, it ain't for me. How do you make your voice heard? Like, what is the best platform for contacting either your representatives or getting your voice heard on this bill? Yeah, so like we said, it's up to the Senate now. So you got to contact your senators. That's really the only vote that matters at this point. So in my HR1 primer, the link I sent you, there's a headcount link. So you can go to headcount.org and there's just some um, really just one click. You can send an automatic uh, message to your senator. I actually, or senators, I should say, I actually got a response back from one of my senators, which is pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Uh, so that was, that was really That cool. could be you. That could be you. You could have your own. I'll, I'll send you guys my letter too. I got a letter from Diane Feinstein. It's really easy. You just like one click, you put in your zip code and they'll send a letter saying that you want to support it. You can contact them on Twitter too and like email them, like just get in touch with your senators and whether, whether you support it or not, like they're the ones you got to talk to. For sure. Amazing. Well, we have covered so many bases and this has been, I feel like one of our most like lively conversations we've had in the best way. You're going to be on the show again. We'll see. We'll see you later kind of thing. But in the meantime, where can people find you and you want to like kind of plug your videos and stuff. Do you post them on a certain day? Like what, what's the deal? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of a disorganized mess, but I'm trying to do one or two videos a week, but, uh, you can find them at on my Instagram at Natalia Ramos. And I also have my website, nataliaramos.com. It has a whole archive of kind of everything and all of my primers. I try to put together these great guides where, which is just a compilation of where all my resources as well and so that's probably the best place to find like the full package love it and wait hold on you're also doing a series take a moment to plug that as well yeah i'm i'm currently writing a curriculum civics curriculum and it's just going to cover everything the foundations of government all the way down to your local government and what you can actually do again like a think and action and that's been a lot of fun it's going to be on uh one commune they do a bunch of amazing master class style courses and i'm doing it with my friend ben sheehan who wrote omg wtf does the constitution actually say which is also a must read for everyone. Which, yes, we also need to have him on too, so. You have to, he's he's fabulous. And so the two of us are putting together what will hopefully be the most fun civics lesson you've ever had. Oh my <laughs> That's gosh. That's our gosh. That's so exciting. Here <laughs> for it. Um, yes, yeah, so that will be out, I think in May, probably we're shooting it soon. So I'll keep everyone updated on social. So for those listening on Wednesday or Thursday. Oh, so this is gonna to come our- out before. Yeah, right before. So oh, perfect. Tune into our IG live too. But thank you so much for coming on. Like this has seriously been amazing. We're just so excited to like have you in our network and our circle, and like definitely want to have you on like a hundred more times. So just be ready for all of our emails. Yeah. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Ditto. Thank you so much for all you guys are doing. Thank you for having me. It's been so much fun, and I'm excited to chat with you guys on my live on Thursday.
Okay, so before you guys go, we have a really great organization that we want to introduce you to, and that organization is the GAP Project. So what is the GAP Project? It is a data-driven grassroots consortium connecting young people with political campaigns on the local, state, and national level. So they have developed an intuitive quiz for young people and campaigns that assess each party's values, interests, demographics, and creates a match based upon their algorithm. The GAP Project places young people, that's you, me, and everyone else, as remote volunteers on political campaigns of all kinds across the United States. The GAP Project mobilizes Generation Z and Millennials to engage with the political system, take constructive action to get their voices heard, and most importantly, to vote. The organization is shaping a representative and equitable America and providing Gen Z and Millennials with a pipeline into politics. So make sure to check them out if you are on campus right now and you have some extra time and you would love to get involved with campaign, I highly, highly recommend the GAP Project. They will help you out. You'll take that quiz. They'll connect you with a campaign that really meets what you're looking for and they'll help you take it from there. Alrighty, guys. Well, that is it for this week. Definitely, definitely, definitely. Please go send a letter to your senator for HR1. As you've heard today, like it is such a crucial bill. We need this so bad. And your senators need to hear from you. You need We need to hold them all accountable to do what is best for this democracy. And HR1 is just that. So yeah, and let us know if you have any more questions about HR1. Slide into our DMs or any political questions for that matter. Slide on in and ask us anything. And we also want to keep pushing out there if you guys have questions in general. We would love to answer them on the show. So feel free to DM us with like literally any question you have, any issue you want to see covered, DM us, email us, whatever, and subscribe, rate, review, follow us on Instagram, follow us on TikTok, follow us on Twitter too while you're at it. Okay, but you guys, this is it for today. We will see you all next Wednesday. Hey guys, popping in with a reminder to sign up for the GovHub newsletter. This weekly pop of politics is designed to share action items, resources, and quick links to civic engagement tools and topics directly to your inbox. Save it, share it, and sign up for a pinch of productive politics today by going to girlinthegov.com or visiting this episode's description.